My dad called me on the Tuesday to just uh, ask, you know, say, how, how are you doing? And then on the Thursday, I got a phone call to say that there was no, there was no illness, no nothing. So it just kind of makes you think, where am I going to spend my time? Who am I going to spend my time with and, and valuing that time? So stay tuned in for more. Welcome to Failure at Failure at Failure. Welcome to the podcast, Darren. Okay, so should we get straight into it and tell our listeners a little bit about you, what you do, your passions? I'm a business owner and uh, and on the weekends, I'm a DJ and a radio presenter. But um, yeah, my, my, the first thing I have to get on with is making money in the week. So I own a sweet shop, which is part of a franchise. It's called Mr. Sims. And my shop is in Bromley. And um if you like sweets, if you come into that shop, then you will not be disappointed. We we have nearly everything you can think of. How long have you had it? So this September will be five years. And um I think it was um having my own business was something that was always kind of supposed to happen. It just took its time. I mean, I'm the kind of person who would find something that that people want buy it and then sell it to them at an upgraded price, which is basically what business is. It always stood with me that when um, I sat down with a couple of guys I went to college with, we used to to get together after college like every year, go out for dinner, have something to drink. And one guy looked at me and he said, because we'd done um, a business and finance course at college, and he looked at me and he said to me, I, I still can't believe that today you still haven't opened up your own business. And I just looked at him like, because out of all of us, I thought you would have done it. And it just, that, those words always stuck with me. And that would have been like, I've probably been, would have been about uh, anywhere between 25 and 30 when, when he said that to me. Is the shop your first business or did you have businesses prior? Uh, no, it's my first official business with, you know, you know, company's house and doing it all that. But I mean, you could look at anything that you do, whether it be selling stuff on eBay and, and that's a business, but no, first official business, yeah, is a, is a shop, the sweet shop. And the decision to have a sweet shop other than other things, what was the driving force behind that? So I remember at the time, I don't know, what, I, was, I, was, I, was, um, I was working at Sainsbury's in a head office in the IT department. A round of redundancies came and I managed to miss it and apply for another job. I knew I didn't want to be there, but I applied for another job and got it. And it was, a, it was only a matter of time before it happened again. And I just remember being on a computer at the weekends and I basically Google buying a business, just like just to find if anyone wants to sell a business. Because my problem with not starting a business up until when I started was I always got trapped in the mindset of I needed to reinvent the wheel. And I thought, we, you know, I got to the point where you don't need to reinvent the wheel. You just need to do something that's good. So um, where I used to live, there was a sweet shop um, on my way to work. It used to always be closed. And I thought, how does, how does this business survive? 
Uh, one day it was open. I went in there and I said to the lady, this is while I used to Google buying this businesses. And I said to the lady, excuse me, who owns this business? And she said to me, oh, the owner's not here at the moment. So uh, if I give him my number, will you, will you pass it on to her? We'll speak to her and find out if she was be interested in selling it. And she turned around and said to me, um, oh no, actually she's, she's looking to expand. So I thought, Anyway, the sweet shop was right near it to the school, so I think it needs to be always open when the school was kicking out. But anyway, I went to I went to work that day, and then uh, I told my partner what I'd done. Within about an hour, I got an email from her saying, "Look at this this company; they do franchises." I, I contacted the company, spoke to them. They told me what I needed to do in order to you know find free free properties. They'll come down and look at the properties and see if they're suitable. And um, that, that's the that's the beginning of it all. It took ages to sort out the property and everything like that so it's, it's interesting how it all works with this franchise because the the rent and everything like that is solely on me and everything like that it's not it's not a case of like the like mcdonald's or so i suppose they take a property and so i don't know how mcdonald's works apart from the name above the shop door the the way the shop is run it's run as mine yeah so there, there are certain things that I, I can and can't do, but I've got full control. So if I came to, if one of you came to me tomorrow and say, you know somebody who started to produce a suite and you think it's going to do really well, I can sit down with that person and we, I can decide whether I want to stop their product. And I don't have to speak to head office about it. So it really is my shop. How do you feel about running your own business? Oh, I love it. I love it. It's, uh, you know, as I said, I've got, I got into IT. I was, I was back in the day. I was IT guy. You come to your desk and sort out the problems, you know. So, um, if you had a problem with your computer, you call up the help desk. I'd come out and sort out whatever. And then gradually, I became the guy that was stuck behind the desk. And um, that's uh, that's not me. So, you know, with all the the arguments and problems we have with customers, I I, I still like to get out there. I still like to meet people. I'm quite personable. Um, yeah until it all goes a bit wrong and then I have to tell someone about themselves. But yeah. But yeah, so it's just um it's just being able to have it's, it's, I'm I'm my own boss. So um yeah it's great. It's great. And you know sometimes sometimes it's I have a moment of uh, realization because at the end of the day I go there every day, I open up the door and, and we serve people. But sometimes I, as I walk up to the shop and I look and I think, wow, that's that's mine. It's that just those moments when really at home, but sometimes I don't actually realise or or think that it's anything big until somebody else comes in and go, "Wow, a black man only this." Da, 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 da. It's just like it's those moments that make me think, "Okay, this is this is something unusual. This is something bigger than than I think it is." Um, what about your other passions? That would be music. Uh, my, 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 you know, in terms of, yeah, you know, I'm very passionate about music. So how I always describe it is that the business side of things for me comes from my mum. Because my mum is a, my mum's like, probably like your mum or whatever. She's the kind of woman that she would take five pound and turn it into a hundred pound easy. So my mum, my mum has made cakes for people for years. So when, um, you know, birthday cakes, icing them, Christmas cakes, wedding cakes, decorating the whole lot. When Easter comes up, she's making sweet bread and the, the, the knock on the door, this person's come for their sweet bread. So, entrepreneurial, she sounds like. Yeah, yeah. So it's the, that's, the, that's where I think I got my business brain from. And then the music side of it, um, my, my passion for music came, came from my dad. So my dad was a, a DJ. Um, so there was always music playing in the house. Yeah, I've, I've been a DJ 
you know, I've probably done my first gig when I was about 13, 14 years old. And it's just carried on from there. And then now I do, um, I do radio presenting as well. What was, your, what was your music genre when you were coming up? What was your genre that you preferred to play? Well, I used to work with two other people. So when, when we all went out um, on that circuit, I used, to, I used to play the ragga. We used to call it ragga back in the day. And, and slow jam. What's it called now? Bashman, isn't it? <laughs> we Bashman. <laughs> but I still, when I collect, when I collect uh, Raga now, I still label it as Raga in my laptop. I'm not calling it Bashman. So, um, yeah, I play Raga and, uh, and slow jams, but I've always been able to play everything when I decided to carry on doing everything on my own. So if somebody calls me up now and says to me, oh, we've got a booking, they, they could ask me to play specific type of music or they can just let me be free and just do, do whatever I want so I, I, I get booking sometimes where I'm playing for five or six hours straight or and, and like weddings so obviously you have to switch it up and, and cater for everybody and were there any more passions at all because we understand you you do radio I mean you've spoken a bit about DJ your radio work how did that come about when did you transition from DJing into radio so I still do I still do the DJing um I always, growing up, uh, I always avoided radio because it was always about pirate radio stations. And back in the day, well, you used to hear that when pirate radio stations got raided, they would take all of the DJ's records. So I was like, that ain't happening because there was a lot of money invested in that. So then everything went digital and you got your laptop and stuff. And then my, my introduction into radio happened when Smiley Culture passed away. His nephew, uh, Merlin Emmanuel, posted on Facebook that he was looking to start up a radio station in memory of Smiley Culture. And I saw that and I was like, it's my time. So um, I, I went up there, met them, and um, that only lasted for about um, six, six months. The radio station or your contribution on the radio station? My contribution. And then the radio station, after I left the radio station, didn't stay much longer. So it was a very short, short thing. But um, I, I, I really enjoyed that. So when I stopped that, um, it was a case of, okay, I need to find another suitable station. And, and it wasn't, I, I just didn't want to go anywhere. And then the opportunity came up for me to, um, to go on to My Soul. Now, when I, when I looked at My Soul, the roster and I was like, this ain't happening because I hadn't, I didn't have any experience. Um, and when you looked at my soul, it had a lot of DJs that you probably remember were on Choice FM, like, uh, like Jigs, et cetera, like people with a, with a, a big radio, um, presenting behind them. Lots of, lots of Choice FM and the original Kiss FM DJs. It was quite funny because the person who told me about my soul, his name is Jason Henry, and he now lives in Toronto. And was, um, he, I think he was starting his own radio station called I Live Radio. And he said to me, go, go and see what Gordon Mack and them guys are doing at, at my soul. And I was like, who's that? So he sent me the link. And I was like, okay. So I contacted them. Now they must have been getting contacted from everywhere. So, um, and it was like a case of, I think somebody said at the time, I think Gordon said to me at the time, you got to come in and do a test, do a test show. So I was like, okay, cool. So there's me sitting there waiting for him to call me. And so I spoke to somebody and goes, no, 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 no. You don't wait for Gordon to call you. You have to festival. So t- telling me that's like 
yeah, telling me that it's like a red rag to a, a, a to a ball. So I don't want to do it. But if you tell me that that's how the person works, then I'm on it. So just do. So then he, we got the date. He goes, come in. Now the person who told me about the test show goes to me when he done his test show. When he went into the office to speak to Gordon afterwards and said to him, like, how was it? He read in the right act. You didn't do this. You didn't do that. You didn't do this. Tell you, I've done my test show. If I find my test show on um, on uh, Mixcloud now, you can hear how nervous I am. So I f- finished the show, go into the office, and I said to him, um, how was that? What do I need to do to improve? And he just looked at me and went, nothing. And I was like, what? And that was, that, and that was it. And then um, the, the, we, we sorted out the date that I was going to do my show. And then I had about three or four different slots over the year. So it started out on Wednesday between um, 11 and 1. Then it went from uh, when we went to DAB, I got called to say, oh, can you come into the office? So I'm thinking, yes, my time. I'm going to get a better time. I end up with a worse time, which was one till three. How long have you been with them? I'm not with them anymore, but I, I was with my soul for about four or five years. Then I got moved to Monday after running a rail, which is like running a rail is their, their, their golden boy. So I got moved to after his show. So I thought if, if he's like the number one DJ on their station and my show's after his, it can only be a good thing. Even though it was still, even though, though it was still midnight till two. So I've done that for a while. And then, um, I noticed that 11 till one on a Sunday night came up. So I asked to be moved to that because there was a DJ called Kurt Anthony that used to do on, uh, used to do Choice of Femme, you know, the slowdown. Was that, that, was that Car- Quiet, Quiet Storm or was that Calvin Quiet Francis? Quiet Storm. Yeah, Calvin Francis used to do it as well. Started off with Kurt Anthony and he got Quiet Storm. And obviously then Jenny Francis used to do something in the week. But I used to remember listening to that slow jam show on a Sunday night. So I said, when I do a radio show, this is what I want to do. And, and also, my soul was a soul radio station. I, I went, when I went to them, I was like, how can you have a soul radio station and not have a slow jam show? That was my, that was my in. So, you know, I've done that. And then, um, last year, just different things happened. Like, so my, my dad died in 2017. And then a couple of months after my dad died, um, I think uh, Dr. Psycho was on my soul as well. He died. And it kind of, I kind of sat there for like a couple of days and like, why, why am I doing this? Like to, not to my detriment, but it just didn't make any sense getting, coming out of my house at certain times to do certain shows when I didn't think I was getting what I should have got back. So, so when, when these things happen, it's like a, when my eyes open, I said, right, I'm not doing it anymore. What would you have liked to have happened in terms of something reward for that in terms of give back? I believe I should have got a better time. Better slot. A better slot, yeah. So it was eleven. It was eleven till one, and I'm fixed myself. When I started that radio on the first station, I think I was doing ten till twelve on a Sunday night, which was fine. And then the DJ that was doing eight till ten left, and they moved me to that earlier time, and it just went boom. The amount of listeners went up. The interactions were wicked, and so that's why I like knew the audience, what the audience wants. But um, you know, they had a my soul's got like a a high profile uh, presenter in that slot. So it's just like, it's not going to happen, mate. So, um, so, I, and I remember one morning, um, it was a, it was a Tuesday morning. I think I woke up late to take my daughter to school and it was off the back of the fact that I'd done my show the night before. And I was like, this ain't worth it. This is not, doesn't make sense. 
So I said to them last last year that because of you know I've got the, my, my main responsibility uh, is to make sure that my daughter gets to school on time, and to have, doing the show that late and getting home and that is obviously impacting on me. And then obviously I'm running the shop. So I said to them at the end of the month I'm going to stop doing my show. I think it was September last year. I forgot to add that since I was since the beginning more, more or less the beginning of time my show being on my soul it was um agreed that the recording could be taken and sent to canada toronto to the guy who introduced me to my soul but my my soul don't know that he introduced me to them so my radio show was being played out on the toronto canadian radio station on a thursday night this is, a, this is an agreement just between you and that person yeah i just i to okay with my soul but of course that's what i'm trying to find yeah to be brutally honest with you, I don't think they were really bothered. Yeah, they, they, because it's like, oh, they don't really care. It's only, it's only, it's only you. So yeah, do what you want. <laughs> so um, my show was going out. So it's as only a, as a, this is how, this is that's how, that's how it feels. Just before I'm being honest. Did you feel like they didn't value you? Definitely, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. They, they, you know, you know, in some ways they do because they'll say certain things get said, like you know, but then you don't get it doesn't get backed up. And then you, you feel like as well that, that definitely that there are people in there blocking things. And this is, and this is how DJ, this is how the DJ world works. Yeah. It's very, very bitchy. All right. And I'm not, I don't want, I don't want to get involved in it. So it's a case of this one's going to kiss up this one's bottom to get to here that that's not me. Yeah. I am, I'm here. This is what I do. You can see what I do when I get to where I am and there's a crowd. But that puts people, that puts other people's noses out of joint. People who are supposed to be where they are, and and so they'll block you. I'll just I'll just walk away from it. The, the Toronto station called iLive is always playing at my show. They since so last 2019, they opened up the UK iLive radio station as well. So I stopped at my soul in September, and I just didn't do anything. I was just like, I'm not bothered. I'm not really bothered if I don't do a radio show ever again. I've done it. It was one of those things that I never thought I would do. I fell into it. And then sometimes, again, I look back and think, oh, wow. You know, people come up saying, oh, you're on my soul. Like, yeah. And I was like, okay, so I've achieved something that I, I achieved something without really knowing or really saying about doing it. So I've done it. But yes, um, in January, I think, or February this year, I started on the UK station, um, iLive station. So they, and they still play my show on a different night in Toronto. And how does that feel for you moving on to a different, I'm thinking you've got a better slot or a more appropriate slot that you're happy with. And it sounds like they probably value you more than maybe where you were previously. Yeah, 100%. They do. And they always have, they've always made it known that, um, you know, when you're ready, this you can come here. I think I got into the, the mindset of my soul's DAB. So if I leave here, I need to go something that's perceived to be bigger so whether it be DAB and FM but right but now I'm like mm, that doesn't really matter because there's so many different ways to do things now so you don't have to be on DAB you don't have to be on FM people have got devices in their phones that they can play music in their cars so it's yeah it just changed the whole way I mean their, their motto is change the way you listen to radio but I understand that you do a little bit of charity work uh, you happen to tell us a little bit more about that I've done some charity work for the ACLT many, many years ago. Can you tell us what the acronym stands for? Yeah, sorry. The African Caribbean Leukemia. Trust? Trust. Trust, yeah. 
I was about to say society is like there's no TS, <laughs> but yeah, and that came about with um, so you got Daniel DeGale, whose parents who, who run it, but closer to me, uh, a lady called Sarah Thompson, who actually had leukemia, and um, I think I went to one of the drives and, and gave a bit of blood. This is back in the day when I used to be scared of needles, so it was you know I found out about the stats of uh, you know when a black person gets leukemia. I'm, I'm got the correct stat here, but let's say it's one in thousands to find a match. And if it's a, a you know white European person, you're looking at one in maybe ten or twenty. So uh, it's just important for me to to try and push that out there and let people know that if you do join the register and they do call you, you are probably that only person's chance of living. So on that, that raised a bit of money for them. So with one of the parties, I don't remember. I um, I how did I do it? I done I I done a party at a, yeah rave. Um, and we said, well, we normally charge ten pounds. Not charging, you can come to the door and put whatever you want in the bucket. So the expectation was that people would come and put ten pounds in, and then we had a cake on the night and cut that up. A cake that my mum made and decorated and cut that up, and people paid for for um for slices of the cake and just different things like that. Then I think that. That got me onto to, uh, giving blood, but that's not charity I raise money for, but I give blood. But I try to always promote black people to, to do that, give blood, and also give a sample towards the Anthony Nolan Trust, which is linked with the ACLT. A friend of mine a couple of years ago contacted me and said that they're doing a 10K run for prostate cancer and men's health. I play a lot of football, but I don't like running. But as I said, the, the, this guy that called me... So you don't me, like running? Not particularly. Are you, are you generally in goal then? No, no, no. What I'm saying is, I play football, which involves running. But when 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 we ever go to football training, they go right. We're going to do some running. We're like, we don't want to run. But running is something that I've got used to during lockdown. I haven't been out for a while, but yeah, it's it's just good to get out there. And once I've got my music on this year, if we run again, it'll be the fourth year in the in the road that we've run. We've raised quite a bit of money. There's a team of us who call ourselves one in three. I think it's now one in four. The reason why we call ourselves one in three is because um, potentially one in three black men will have a problem with his prostate uh, in his lifetime. But it's now one in four. So I think that shows you that his um, work has been done. Whilst I was in my soul, uh, this lady booked me for a gig and took me over to Monaco. Her her thing was um, raising money for the CCLG, which is the Children's Cancer and Leukemia Group. So she was doing a fundraiser. So she flew me over there with Omar. We'd done that gig and I got to know her and then found out that her, her family was from Bromley. So one of the main charities that we raise money for in the shop is the Children's Cancer and Leukemia Group. And then in October, the shop kind of goes pink. I've even dyed my hair, and my beard pink and we raise money for breast, for breast cancer. So what we've done is we've taken like a strawberry bonbon, which is pink, and said to the to customers that they normally they say they normally cost one pound forty nine for hundred grams. If they if the customer buys that, then we donate the say like the forty nine p for every hundred grams. So if you come into the shop now, we've got like four certificates for um, that's just one year that we've done it. We didn't do it every year. Do that same thing every year. We've got like four certificates saying how much money we've raised for them every year. Then in the shop. We, on, in November, we, we do for prostate cancer. I've even got 
uh, I even saw it today when I was doing a bit of tidying up for a red bucket for the sicker cell. So it just sounds like you're doing lots, lots of bits for the community, for health, be it men's health, women's health. And I guess I wanted to just touch a little bit on, I know we haven't spoken about it much yet, but just, you know, where you're from originally and more like about your, your family. You touched very lightly on dad. So it would be nice just to come back a little bit more to, to mum, dad, where are you from? A bit of your background so you can get an idea of who you are. So, uh, yeah, both my parents come from Guyana. I was born here, grew up in Fulham until the age of 14, and then we moved to Mitcham. Do you have any siblings? Yes, I've got an, I've got an older brother. I've got an older bro- brother who I grew up with and a younger sister, and I do have other siblings okay. who didn't grow up in the same house as me. Yes, I'm, I'm like the, I'm the middle child. And, and what would you say the impact um, of your, I mean, actually, you've already kind of described a lot of it in terms of, Dad's DJing, his love for music, you know, mum's entrepreneurial spirit. It sounds like there's a fusion of, of both of those uh, characters, uh, those personalities in your life. Mum's nighttime, so I was about to say daytime, but mum used to work in a hospital, like a lot of, uh, I suppose, Caribbean, West Indian, maybe African parents. So mum was like a nurse, worked in nursing, and my dad was, would have done building and then postman probably playing cards most of the time. <laughs> um, they love to party and, and dance. And my, my, my dad and my mum, you could see, they would be like, they do like the waltzing. And I remember, I remember going to some of the parties, you know, into competitions. You, it's just literally, you just literally gliding across the, the floor. You can't tell their feet are moving. Like, yes. Yeah. And then, you know, like, Chinese people love to waltz. So when you, like, you see some people like meet up, meet me, you can waltz? No, no, I can't. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so they look at me like, look at me like I'm some sort of alien. Man. Like, like, even, oh, even my cousin, I've got cousins in Manchester who are a similar age to me, and they look at me like, yes, yeah. they they they've gone back to Guyana and really embraced the culture. Um, some of my cousins in Manchester, where for me, it because I mean because their dad went back to Guyana and built a home and stuff like that. It, when they they go over there at any given opportunity, for me when I go, if I go there, it feels. It feels foreign. And what things would you say stand out in your 20s, 30s, in terms of you being the person that you are now? Wow. I know he said something that I really hate people saying. You know when, you know when people ask questions, that's a really good question. That winds me up. <laughs> and I nearly said it there. Stand out in my time. You know what? It's really hard to, to answer that because everything seems like a blur in terms of times. Like when I knew I was doing this, I can't remember what I did at what age like when I look back on it now I mean I know I can remember that my 25th birthday or when at the party I had was a significant moment because I got in contact with somebody who sewed who sews clothes because I wanted to look, have this gangster looking party he's also the guy behind the, um, Melanene so I met him 20, let's do the maths 22 years ago all right. And he sewed something for me from my party. Obviously, when me, meeting him and he's finding out what I'm doing, I'm saying I'm having a 25th birthday party. So I invited him to the party. And it was on that night when he saw me and my crew play music that he decided to book us for Silk City. Right. Okay. So, I don't know if you used to go to Silk. I don't know if you used to go to Silk City. Right. There you go. So my my twenty first my twenty fifth birthday party was like you could say was the launch of of Black Avenue for me onto the scene 
and start playing in clubs and start doing gigs. The big because he said from that night when he saw that he's like, yeah, I want these, I want these guys to play at my my thing. So that's like for me the real true birth of, of Shaq D. I think we used to do parties and stuff like that before, but into club world and big club world in front of big numbers. That was that was it. And am I right? At that time, you hadn't didn't have children yet. No, I didn't have I didn't have children yet. So doing the maths, then if I met him twenty two, I met him twenty two years. Then uh, it was four years later that I had my first child. And was you was your day job in IT at that point? Yes, yes. Yeah, I went to university for a year and four. Now this isn't for me, and I just started work. So that would have been around about nineteen ninety three. So from nineteen ninety three up until five years ago, I was I would have been working in IT roles. I mean, you 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 mentioned that you kind of went through a period of redundancies at work. You, you'd applied for a job, got that, and then you knew before at whatever point it'd be happening again. Did you feel disillusioned? By that time, I'm thinking you must have been in your 30s, 30s by then. Yeah, late, that was in late 30s with that redundancy thing. So that was, that, that's like, I mean, that only happened once. So as I said, we were working at Sainsbury's and we knew that they were moving from the building that we were in and they were moving everybody up to Coventry. I was like, I'm not going to live in Coventry. So it was just a, it was a matter of time because they used to own this, they got this building in, um, in Chancery Lane, massive building, perhaps one of the most expensive buildings. In, in London. So it just wasn't sustainable for them to be in it. It didn't make sense. They started moving people out and renting different floors to different companies. So it was only a matter of time before, you know, and it was a case of, I didn't want to be there. So I was just, I was just counting, counting the time. And I wasn't, I wasn't there for that, for that long anyway. So my redundancy wouldn't have been a big payout. It was just, it was, as I said, it was just a matter of time. Well, I'm not even scared to say or ashamed to say, I actually done a lot of planning for the business that I own now. Whilst I was working there, <laughs> I've done that. It's fine. It's okay. <laughs> but, you, but, you, but you didn't know that. You, did, you didn't know at the time that you, the business you'd be in would be this, right? Because well, I because remember when I went to work. Remember when I went to work and I got the email saying, "Look at these people. They do franchises." Yes. So yes. I was working at Sainsbury's at the time. I mean, I used to have my, I used to have these guys that used to play football. So we used to play football at lunchtime sometimes. And he's come over to my desk and he's like, "How comes when I come over to your desk, you're never doing any work?" You're always on the phone, surfing the internet, or eating. And I just looked at him and I said to him, I just said to him, at the end of the month, do I get paid? He said, yes. I said, all right then. When people try and pull a fast one with me in the business that I own now, I'm like, I've been there. I know, I know what you're going to try and do before. So, the other side of it is that obviously I wasn't happy. That's why I was doing that. So I try to make sure that I am the boss that I never had. Sure. So I want to make sure that my staff are happy. You know, if they say to me, look, I've, I've got to do this, I go and do it. I just want to go to the shop to go, go and do it. Just don't take the piss. Don't take the piss at me. When, when I ask you to run for a brick wall, you probably want to run for a brick wall. But you know, I'm not, I'm not that. Where are you? Why aren't you here? Da, 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 da. I just say to people, if you're going to be late, call me. Tell me. Yeah, things happen. Don't just walk in late. So you know, I've I've had my fair share. I can tell you stories upon stories about star and customers. I could write books. And how have you found managing that transition now to going from being an employee to employer? Everything's fine. And I think I spoke to another of one of the sweet shop owners. I said to him, 
this is like really good. And he goes, I said, what's the most difficult thing in the whole, you know, running your shop? And he went, staff. And I was like, what? He said, yeah, the staff. And at the time, my staff was like golden. No, I had no problems. I thought, okay. And then gradually you start, you get one here, you get this here, there, that. But, you know, so touch wood, I've got a really good team at the moment. I've just got to manage them properly. So did you have a plan for your life, like as in that you wanted to achieve certain things? Like, did you have like deadlines or timelines as in, I want to achieve this by this date? What was your plans, if any? No real plans in terms of dates, but I was thinking when I was listening to podcasts that you've done um, in preparation for coming on, one thing that I always had in my mind was that I was never going to rent poverty from anyone. Um, it was always a case of if I'm going to rent, I might as well give the money to my mum. So I've never rented property. Um, I probably have to track back and tell you how old I was, but I bought my first house when I was about, this is difficult. Uh, in your 20s, maybe? In my, I think in my 20s, yeah. And it was a case of I had to, in order to get on the property ladder, I moved out of London. So I went to um, live in a bought a house with my ex-wife in in Luton. Uh, it was, I remember, it was a repossession. It was a, uh, it was a very very good condition. It was a semi semi detached three three bedroom house. You can see it now as I, as, I, as I describe it. Parked two cars at the side. And it was, it was 55 grand. And, uh, and I think we lived there for about 18 months or two years. I think I spoke to an estate agent and said I was interested in selling it. And it had gone up by just over 20 grand. And it was that 20 grand that enabled me to buy, enabled us to buy our second house in Croydon. And did you keep your first house or did you sell it? Now I sold it to get them to take that money to put down as a deposit on my second on the second house. Which but in is 18, 18 months, it had gone up by 20 grand, basically. 20 grand, yeah, because, because it was repossessioning, we got it cheaper. So it was already worth, and obviously because we done made it good and everything like that, it, as I said, it was in very good condition. We was able to move in there and not do anything. You know, normally with repossessions, people have dug up the walls, tear off all the, all the, um, the doors and all sorts. They make it really bad, but this feels fine, absolutely fine. So yeah, I think we've been 18 months, two years with um, two grand. It's like somebody said to me back in the day, like, um, you're never gonna, you're never gonna earn that in a bank in, in that short space of time. I actually was considering going to Milton Keynes because the company I was working at at the time was moving their IT department to Milton Keynes. And I always remember this, um, this white lady. I think she had a, a black partner. So she looked at me, she went, Darren, you don't want to move to Milton Keynes. And I was like, why not? She was like, there's nothing there. And I think she, because she had a black partner, she kind of knew the kind of things I'd want to have around me, food shops, stuff like that. She goes, why don't you consider Luton? It's halfway between London and Milton Keynes. So if you have to go to Milton Keynes, you can go to Milton Keynes. If you have to come into London, you have to come, you come into London. So that's why we went to Luton. And then um, bought, came back and I said, uh, two years later, I bought a house in Croydon. So I guess even when we spoke to you about some of the significant things that have kind of happened to you in your 20s and your 30s, uh, what we didn't ask you about is relationships and children so much. So I guess those have been some of the pivotal things that have happened during that time. What would you say the impact 
has been on you in terms of becoming a father? You know, what's that journey been like? Interesting, interesting journey. I mean, it's, it's a journey where I always, no matter what happened, made sure that I was I was there, done my bit. And just looking around at other examples of people of the same age as me or or even looking at the, 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 the child and saying, well, you can see, you know, people around you that don't have a father figure, they're present. So I made sure that, I, you know, I've done my bit. <laughs> you know, I've done, I won't say more than my bit, but I've made sure I've done my bit and more. How would you say you've grown in your fatherhood? It's quite funny because it's, it's because you get to a certain age and then you say something to your child and you're like, damn, I'm turning into my parents. Because you, <laughs> you remember when your parents said the same thing to you. So, as I said, I don't, I don't quantify things in numbers, like, but there's certain things that happen where I look back and go, oh my gosh, or like I can, I, if I go into my mum's house now, she's got a photo up and there's a, they, they had a party, I think, when she was 40. And there's a picture of me, my mum, my brother and my sister standing to my mum. And I'm like, damn, I'm older than my mum. I'm older now than my mum is in that picture. So it's this, it's these, these things happen or, I look at the fact that I've got property or whatever and think to myself, you know, my mum and dad were only able to buy one house, which when we moved when I was 14 years old. So it's like, okay, so I've always wanted my children to come up and do better than me. So I know that my parents got me to a level where I've surpassed what they've done in terms of things like house, business and stuff like that. And it's just a case of, I just think you should always, your children or your grandchildren, everybody should be going to look to do the, the next best thing. Yes. And I mean, you talk about sort of what coming up in the ages and always knowing that you wanted business per se, or to be business minded in some shape or form. Has that always been the way in terms of getting married? Was that something you always wanted to do? No, I don't think that um, it wasn't getting, me personally, getting married wasn't, such a big thing um but it became how do i put this it became necessary i thought it became necessary because of the person i was with so the person i was with was uh quite into church okay and when, when we were together i think we were always on that journey where we said we we're going to get married something happened and then i said well we were always going to get married so we might as well get married but that's how that happened it was all it was always the intention, I think, at that age, yeah, I think it's the person I'm going to be with. Blah, blah, blah. So it just kind of like sped things up. But then in hindsight, it happened that quickly for the wrong reasons. Hmm. Would you do it again? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't actually feel like it's necessary, but yeah, it, I could. I'm not going to sit here and say, no, definitely not. Blah, 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 blah. But it, it could happen. But I don't think it's a hundred percent necessary that you should have to. Yes. Do you, do you feel scarred by your past in terms of going? No, I don't think so. No. Um, I'm interested, Darren, because I've also been married and I'm now divorced and in a new relationship. But I'm interested in that question has been asked to me before. Like, you know, do you think you would do it again? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Because if I love somebody and I want to be with someone for the rest of my life, why not? Like, I don't. I don't have any reason not to. But what I found really interesting that you said that I've heard before by other people is it's not necessary. It does, it's not really necessary to get married. What does that mean? 
Well, that's because while you were just talking there, I was thinking to myself, well, you said you would do it again because, you know, if you found someone you want to spend the rest of your life, da, 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 you could still yeah. do that. Yeah. You? you don't have to yeah. get married. So, I don't have to, no. No. So you, you, you've answered the question yourself. You can, you're, you're with somebody now. You can spend the rest of your life with them without being married. I could do. Like you said, mm, not really sure. It's not necessary to get married. It's not necessary. Like for me, I, I wouldn't say it's not necessary. But my, my thing would be, yes, of course, I want to get married to the person that I love. And, but when you say it's not necessary, it makes it sound like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not that, I'm not that fussed about it. For me, it's like, uh, cause when, well, obviously when I got married before, yeah. I never, I never intended to get divorced. It was never, yeah. you know, you, you stand up there in front of all those people and you say that, 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 that and you, you, you do truly mean it. Uh, and it's just like, but I, I think you can be with somebody. And not have to to go through that. And I think you know a, a lot for me. Um, and and when you look at it, and I think this is this is the society thing. And this might touch on some of the stuff that you guys do. I think that a, a wedding or the marriage. Some women get confused with the wedding and the marriage. Mm-hmm. And some of them, it's all about the wedding. It's all about the day. You understand? And that this this big show and everything like that, but afterwards it's just like no, you've got to concentrate on the marriage. And I think that's where a lot of the confusion comes in. Well, it's interesting that you say that because I've often heard that you know, you know men will say it's her day, it's about her. You know, the, the wedding. Yes, I love her, but the wedding is particularly for women per se. And I've heard that in a from a lot of men. And I mean, it does it does kind of throw me a bit because it. it being the, com- the combination of both of you uh, coming together to tell others how much you declaring your love for each other, isn't it? But somehow, and I think you said it about society, um, in terms of how it's portrayed, how it's sold. Yeah, very much so. It's not, you, you, you don't generally hear a man screaming with excitement and you know, enjoyment, I'm, I'm going to get married. It is all tailored towards the woman. It's about yeah, a man might go and buy a Chris suit and everything like that, but it's all about how did she look? Da, 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 da. Do you know, it's all, it's a big, a big, it really, for me, it really is a big thing in a, a bigger thing in a woman's life than a man's life. And, and with your, and with your podcast, I don't know, um, how many women you've spoken to. Um, but I think that it would definitely become a thing that you theme that you may get when you speak to women that they may have wanted to be married by a certain age. And do you get, do you, and do you get that same thing from, from men? Yeah, no, I think the biological clock is different for women. And I think women might sometimes want to do different things in a certain way. Um, I think men can take it or leave it and they're not too worried about the circumstances in which that may come about. I think they kind of want a little bit more kind of security um, to do all sorts of things, whether that's buying houses, having children, or, or just growing with somebody. Um, I that's that's my opinion on on that but also I agree I, I do agree with what you're saying Darren because I mean obviously I had the big day um I and it is it's sold to young girls and women from very young um and it's never really sold to men like you know that dads are not going son one day you're going to marry the woman of your dreams and it's going to be amazing you're going to wear the most amazing suit and it's that it's not it's not sold to men, um, but it is sold to, to women. But having had been married, um, I 
my stance on it is that the wedding is a great party, but the marriage is the most important thing. So I would be quite happy not to have the major wedding and to have the, and focus on the marriage. So I guess that's why I was questioning, like, like when you said it's not necessary, the wedding is not necessary for me, but maybe for me, the marriage is more important than that. But that's, I was just questioning because I wanted to see what you thought about it. Yeah, it's a difficult one. I'm not, as I said, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Do you say there were any, what were some of the moments in your life, in your journey up to 40, beyond 40, that you found challenging, that felt like maybe you didn't achieve what you wanted to achieve or it took you longer or to achieve it made you feel a particular way? Having the business now, I wish I'd, maybe I wish I'd had the idea uh, earlier on a few years before. Um, I wish I'd, I'd, I could say say now, yeah, I wish I'd, I'd become a business owner um, maybe five years before now. But, you know, as they say, nothing before it's time. Um, but I've never, I've never been a, I've never been a planner like that to say, okay, by this time, I'm going to do this, by this time, I just kind of just go with the flow. I mean, you, you did mention when you were on the radio station with my soul that, uh, the kind of feeling of not feeling valued. And when, when dad passed away, it gave you perspective in terms of, right, what am I doing this for and, and why? And it sounded like there was a shift for you then. And I wonder if, you, if you're happy to talk a bit more about that shift um, and how, how that felt for you and what that impact was. Yeah, it's just, it's just, um, it's like valuing your time more. Um, because obviously, like literally, my dad called me on a Tuesday to just uh, ask, you know, say, how, how are you doing? And then on a Thursday, I got a phone call to say that there was no, there was no illness, no nothing. So it just kind of makes you think, where am I going to spend my time? Who am I going to spend my time with and, and valuing that time? So am I going to go here where I'm not valued or am I going to just do this? That, that's the kind of shift. And I guess even your job was also a monumental shift. To me, there sounds like these, these very big things that are happening, whether it's, you know, your, the, your marriage, you know, has ended and you've maybe, you know, moved on. You've moved on from your job. You know, you've got your own business and something that you love. You're at a radio station, which wasn't quite right, for your, right fit. You've moved elsewhere. So it sounds to me like they're doing lots of different transitions as well. You're also dad as well. Two children. That's not no light work. <laughs> you know? That's juggling a lot of different things and trying to do all those things well. And I guess that's uh, contributes to who you are today, right? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. But I think a, a lot of these things happen to me and I'm the kind of person that just gets on with it. So, um, as you say, they're, monu they're monumental things, but I don't realise how monumental they are until I sit down like here now and I talk to you and you now listen back to me and I'm like, wow, as far as I'm concerned, I'm just going along with it day to day. But as you look back, you go, oh yeah, that's quite a big thing. That's quite a big thing. That's quite a big thing. I mean, one, one of the, a big thing, a personal thing I'll share with you was that when I realized that I was going to get divorced and that I wasn't going to see my eldest daughter every day, I remember the day I was getting ready for work just putting my tie on, looking in the mirror, making sure my tie was, was straight. And I just started crying. And that, that, that was a, a big thing for me because as I said, I always wanted to be there and everything like that. So 
had to just make sure that I could do the best I could do without being in the house. I just get on with things. I just, I just, yeah, I don't, I try not to sit down and think about things. I just got to keep moving. So it's like, uh, I think when my dad died, um, I literally just, I was at work. I was going to, I was walking to work. I got the phone call. I went in, I opened up the shop and then like staff just came from everywhere. Just like, like, go home. I went home and I think, um, that week, the, the next day I was supposed to, the next time I was supposed to do my radio show, I'd done the show. I dedicated it to him. I, uh, you can actually listen to the show. You can actually hear me break down on the introduction to one of the songs. I was crying, but I like, I just, I just keep going. Just, yeah. And is that your coping mechanism? And have you always dealt with how you feel that way from young, potentially? Without knowing, I suppose so, yeah. And I, and I guess quite rarely do people get in a situation like you are now where we're asking you to go back and really analyse, you know, your, your life. Most people flow from moment to moment and just keep going until maybe something does happen. So um, thank you for, for doing that. Would you say there's anything that uh, that life presents to you in a particular way in terms of saying you have to be a certain way? And I know we touched on marriage a little bit, um, but even in terms of how you are in terms of a father, because I mean... Some people haven't got fathers in the, in their lives, and you've grown up with one, you know. And you want them to kind of replicate that in terms of you know being there for your own children. It's it's because 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 my dad. So my dad was was mainly there all the time, but he had other children, so sometimes he wouldn't be there. But he was in the main, he was there. But um, as a father, the kind of the, there's certain things that I look at that he did or didn't do, and kind of think, right, I'm going to do that. So, and it's not, these are not major things, but as I said, I touched on earlier on, I used to play football. So on a Sunday morning, I would get up, go and get my stuff, get my sleep, breakfast, get my stuff, and then go to football. And, and the, the journey to football would be, be me going to these old people's house because their parents were in, were, were connected to the team. So I'd go to their house, knock on their door, knock on their door, go to their house, open the door, they'd be like, oh, Darren, do you want a cup of tea? Built some, built some breakfast, lovely family. And then I would get in their car and they would take me to football and then they would bring me home. So simple thing now is that I'm like taxi for my children. My dad had a car, but there was no way my dad was getting up on a Sunday morning to take me to football. Um, he'd probably been out the night before with my mum. So that's just, that just wasn't happening. And, you know, you just, you just wanted your dad. You know, I just wanted my dad, particularly my dad, not so much my mum, but I don't know why, but you, I wanted my dad to come to football. I want my dad to come on and see me run um, when we had sports day and stuff like that. But I don't know if it's because it may have been harder for them or the work they'd done and stuff like that. They weren't able to do it or they didn't understand the importance of it. So now I think that like, if you say that the, the people that I used to go football with were like 1.0 parents then, it's like we've looked at that and said, right, I've got to do that. So I've got to be 2.0. So whereas it used to be, and I'll, I'll put this out there, whereas it used to be, Mainly the, the white children, their parents would be them at, at football on Sundays and the black children would be in someone else's car. It's like, well, okay, we are doing that now for our children. We are taking, so I've taken my daughter, my eldest daughter to, um, I used to take her every week to Guildford to play, um, netball. Um, I've traveled, I surprised her when the school got to, uh, finals or something like that. And the, the whole school went up, um, on the coach to somewhere up north 
and I, I, I went on the train and, and surprised them. Like I was like, doing that bit extra. So it's just, for me, it's just looking at what I had and saying, how can I better it? And I guess one thing that you guys touched on, which I wanted to just, uh, refer back to, is that, you know, when you get to 40, you realise that you've now become those elders, yeah. you know, transition, basically. Yeah, even, though I still, even though I still feel 25, I'm like, okay, when I go to, when I go to get off the floor, I'm like, ah, <laughs> <laughs> There's an extra so, yeah. quick. You know, but yeah, I guess that yeah. even that in itself is surreal, you know, just to know that you're now doing the, the same things or more or trying to at least be that parent that you wanted or had whatever, whatever that might look. And I guess even particularly on this podcast, it's about kind of challenging, you know, the, the word failure, you know, and the obstacles that we get along the way, because our parents probably navigated very similar things, but they may have not had the same pressures that we currently, and if you think about Windrush parents coming here from abroad, having to build here, you know, having to go and stand at a bath in the street, in a public baths, you know, because, you know, hot water is not running in the same sort of way. There's so much differences. Yeah, I definitely would say that. Is there anything that you would like to tell your younger self? Yeah, I knew this question was coming up. Um, <laughs> probably to, probably to, have just done, to have just done things earlier, just maybe... I mean the the house the house buying fine. I think that happened earlier. I think maybe as I, as I said earlier on, maybe to um, to have pursued becoming a business owner a bit sooner than I did. Um, also, uh, I, w- I think I listened to one of your podcasts and somebody uh, the guy was saying that um, there are people that you used to talk to that you wouldn't give the time of the the day now and um i think that i'd worked out uh earlier in in life who some of these people were but kind of like hung on to to to, to a certain relationship in maybe the hope and it's sometimes someone else coming and opening your eyes and showing you this person no good thing so it's, i wish that i um is that coping mechanism or whatever whatever word is um develop that skill an earlier age to kind of discard these people. We had somebody on our podcast recently who kind of said sometimes we we read people incorrectly or they don't always show us the, the true and honest person representative to us. So there's some sometimes they're making decisions not based on uh, the right information, you know. Um, so I think sometimes the skill that you're talking about is also part and parcel of what people give us. Yeah. 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 Great. I must say, it has been a pleasure speaking to you, Darren. You've shared a lot with us today. Tell us where people can find you if they want to. If they want to speak to Darren without going to knock on your sweet shop door, uh, where else in terms of social <laughs> media handles can we Social media, if you just look for DJ Shaq D, so DJ S-H-A-Q-D, that's on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, you'll be able to find me. The radio station I'm on at the moment is called iLive UK, and hopefully I will receive an award. I don't know. I've been nominated for um, Best Soul DJ Presenter for the, an, an award called Groundbreaking, so I've really got my fingers crossed uh, that I get that one. Yeah, thank you. And can you also <laughs> name drop the charities that you work with, please? I work with, I'm not going to miss out one. Okay, so I've done work with the ACRT, Sickle Cell, CCLG, which is Children's Cancer and Leukemia Group, uh, breast cancer, that breast cancer one's called the Pink Ribbon Foundation, 
Prostate Cancer UK. Thank you so much. And um, I hope when you've got time, you'll come back on again, speak with us again. It'd really be good to do that. Well, I said, if we're, if it not if, when everything goes to plan, what I'm doing this year. And the thing is, I was just about to say nothing major, but when I come to speak to you about it, you might say, oh, speak. So <laughs> let, me not, not, let me not play it down. Talk, talk, talk to your producer in the background. But yeah, any time after, I say mid-October, I should be able to say what I've done. Fantastic. We'll leave, we'll leave that there then. Failure at 40. 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 Failure at 40.